Welcome back to Nightmare Fuel. When I turned 16, my dad gave me a video camera. It was old and heavy, the body made of metal. It made a soft click, click, click noise, and the film inside advanced frame by frame. He smiled at me. I thought filming would be a good outlet for you. I know you've been having a hard time since your mom disappeared. She loved filming with old cameras. She had one almost exactly like this. I thought it would help you feel closer to her. It was an old video camera. It actually recorded on film. I couldn't believe my dad was so cheap. It looked like something he had picked up at a garage sale. I turned it over in my hands a couple times, examining the scuffed metal. I forced a grin. Thanks, Dad, I said, doing my best to hide the sarcastic undertones to my voice. Happy birthday, kiddo, he responded, beaming as if he had given me something much more valuable than this beat-up yard sale camera could possibly have been worth. Despite my lack of excitement over the gift, I decided to try and make my dad happy and took the camera to school with me the next day. The camera was old and clunky and felt awkward in both my bag and my hands. My plan had been to show the camera to one of my older teachers. He was constantly talking about what was wrong with all of this new and unreliable technology. I figured he might know about an old piece of junk like this. Maybe show me how it worked, or at the very least, point me in the direction of someone who could buy this hunk of junk so I could buy myself an actual present. As I wandered the halls, I felt almost drawn to a boy with long blonde hair. Now, I should tell you, I had never seen this boy before at my school. He seemed standoffish but I assumed that was just because, as far as I knew, he was new to the school. Intrigued by him, I had the sudden urge to start filming him with my camera, although I wasn't sure why. It was like the camera whispered in my ear, him. With a hesitant hand, I pulled the camera from my bag and lifted the heavy, cool metal to my eye. Without knowing exactly what I was doing, I pressed the shutter button. It was as if the camera was whispering to me, telling me what to do. There was a cool rush as I pushed the button. All the air around me became ice cold. The busy hallway fell silent. All I could hear was the soft click, click, click as the shutter closed again and again. I began to follow the boy, filming him without a thought of stopping. I wasn't sure what I was doing or if I was even capturing the mundane image of this boy sitting in the back of his classes, head down, not speaking to anyone. I had never actually loaded the ancient camera. I didn't even know how or where to get film for a camera like this. Learning that had been my mission today, not this. As the day progressed, I began to notice something begin to change in the viewfinder. There was an odd brown haze beginning to form around the blonde boy that seemed to follow him everywhere. Curious, and with a great deal of difficulty, I pulled my face from the back of the camera for just one moment, without lifting my finger from the shutter button. But I couldn't see it. It was only visible through the viewfinder. I seemed invisible that day, not only to the boy, but to everyone around me as well. I went into classes that weren't mine, walked right past my friends in the hall without saying a word to them or them to me. It was like I had simply slipped from the world and disappeared into the cold metal body of the camera. The longer I filmed, it felt as if I drifted more into the camera. It was as if my whole world was that viewfinder and my finger on the shutter. I found it harder and harder to focus on anything but Max and watch as the haze surrounding him became darker and darker. 
After the final bell, I followed Max home without even thinking. I followed him down streets I barely knew, into a neighborhood I didn't recognize. When we reached his house, I stopped and hesitated for a minute, torn between my mind which said not to enter a stranger's house, and the pull of the camera, longing to continue to follow Max. As I stood outside the unfamiliar home, unsure what to do, there was a warm rush of air and realization that I was somewhere I didn't belong. For the first time all day, I let my finger off the shutter. I stood on the street as the world slowly came back into focus. Sounds returned and I could feel warmth rushing over my body. I shoved the camera in my bag and shuffled awkwardly away from his house and towards my own. I felt as if I had been suddenly woken from sleepwalking and I was standing somewhere I didn't know. As I neared my own home, I grew more and more determined to get some information from my dad on just where he had gotten this strange camera from. Hey, Dad, I called in a questioning voice as I walked into our home and wandered towards his dusty office, where I knew he would be. He looked up from an ancient-looking leather-bound book. Yes, kiddo, he mumbled, his attention split between me and the book. I slid into the soft leather chair across the desk from him. Almost reluctantly, I pulled the camera from my bag, placing it on the desk between us. Now that it was out of my hands, there was a mixed feeling of longing to pick it back up, and at the same time a sense of foreboding. So about this camera, where did you find it? I asked, my eyes unwilling to leave it as it sat innocently on the desk between us. I could almost feel the cool metal calling to me to pick it back up. Look, don't take this the wrong way. I know I probably should have bought you something, but, well, it was my mom's. I found it in the basement, and I had this feeling like it was meant for you. He looked up at me nervously. I blinked. My grandmother was almost never talked about. She had loved all things art, much like my mother. All I knew about her was that just like my own mother, she had disappeared when my dad was eight. We never really talked about my mother either. I wasn't really sure what had happened to her. I had very few memories of my mom. I do remember her almost fading away in the days before she disappeared. I remember thinking she was just disappearing into a new art project, like she had many times before when inspiration struck. But this time felt different. It was like the light was fading from her, rather than her disappearing into her art, like she had before. Then one day, she was just gone. Nobody could find her. I remember us and the police searching for months, but there was no trail. She hadn't taken her stuff. She hadn't taken any money. Her cards were never used. She was never found, and slowly she just faded from existence. I stirred myself from my thoughts and looked up at my dad again. So why give it to me, I asked. My dad looked at me, not really responding. His eyes seemed to glaze over a little bit before he spoke. It was meant for you, he replied quietly. I was startled by this answer. One of my few memories of my mother was what she had always said about any art I had created. Anytime I insisted what I made wasn't very good because it didn't compare with the things she did, she would tell me, art was meant to be created, my love. The things you make are meant for you. So long as you put your soul into them, they are beautiful. I could almost feel the camera calling out to me, whispering, you belong to me. I finally gave in and reached out for it. My dad smiled a little, an almost possessed look in his face. I touched the little door for the film softly. Where did you get the film? I asked, my mind still reeling about my mother and the strange need I felt to hold the camera. My dad shrugged. It was already loaded and ready to use. Why? Is there something wrong with it? I shook my head and shrugged. I don't know. 
I responded, my voice shaking a little bit, remembering the odd haze around the boy I had been filming. As I opened my mouth to speak, it was like I couldn't. All the words left and my tongue felt like lead. I held the camera, cradling it in my arms. Unable to think clearly enough to continue the conversation with my dad, I stood to leave. Thanks, I half-whispered as I slipped out of the study and watched my dad disappear back into his book without even looking back at me. Alone in my room, I decided to look the camera over more carefully. The metal body was scuffed in a few places. It was wrapped in some sort of soft back leather. The lens was small and the glass seemed slightly fogged. The shutter button seemed worn and didn't pop all the way back out, like it had been pushed down for a long time. The winder, on the other hand, seemed almost new. I realized when I had filmed, I hadn't even wound it once. I wasn't really sure how a camera like this was supposed to work, but I assumed you weren't supposed to be able to film without winding it. I knew almost nothing about this camera, yet I had pushed the shutter button today without thinking, almost as if I had always used it. I flipped it over and looked at the film door. It looked like it was stuck shut. I twisted the small key, attempting to open it. The key twisted easily, but the door was jammed closed. There seemed to be no way to open the door to remove the film. I stared at the camera, debating doing some research on it, but it felt almost wrong, like it would somehow break the spell and take away the confidence I had felt earlier when I began to film. Instead, I lifted the camera cautiously to my eye and lightly ran a finger over the shutter button. I jumped as I watched dark shapes move around in my room, unsure what they were. I lowered the camera again and stared at the blank corner of my room, waiting for the shadows to appear again. They didn't. Over the next few days, I became obsessed with filming Max. I would get to school, find him, and follow him all day, never pulling my eye from the viewfinder, even though the brown haze completely consumed him now. I could feel myself almost fading into the camera. I was completely invisible. I didn't go to my classes, I didn't talk to my friends, and the scary thing was, nobody seemed to notice, and nobody seemed to care. At the end of each day, I would find myself standing outside Max's now familiar home, still feeling as though this was a space I could not enter. Each day, I would reluctantly let my finger off the shutter and watch as the world slowly came back into focus. I would shove the camera in my bag and hurry home. I avoided my dad at all costs. The first couple days, he tried to talk to me, but I would brush him off. I think eventually he just assumed his gift had worked and I had become consumed with art, just like my mother used to with her projects. I was consumed by the camera, not art. I would disappear into my room the moment I got home and lay in bed, staring at the camera, wishing I was still filming until I fell asleep. When I slept, I dreamed of the dark shapes. They closed in around me. I could feel them getting closer and hungrier each night, but for what, I wasn't sure. After filming Max for about three days, he had become completely indistinguishable from the haze. When I started filming, he seemed normal and a little shy. He always sat in the back of the class, kept his head down, and tried to be invisible. But as my filming continued, he became more energetic. He seemed possessed with some kind of charismatic energy. He was constantly surrounded by people like they just couldn't escape him. Although I noticed, I thought nothing of it. My thoughts consumed with filming and satisfying the insatiable hunger of the camera. The next day, on our usually solitary walk to his house, something happened. And I'll tell you right now, I know this whole mess is somehow my fault. As we neared Max's house, another boy came up to Max and the boys began to walk home together. I found myself following, filming, watching hungrily as the boys interacted. I could feel the camera almost vibrating in my hands. 
and for some reason it filled me with giddy excitement. As we walked, Max and the boy took a detour from our usual route, taking a trail through the forest that backed Max's house. As they walked, the haze became darker than I had seen it before. I felt the shadows from my dreams pushing against me. They were starving, and they knew that their long-awaited meal was coming. I watched from behind my camera as with a sudden and unexpected movement, Max pushed the boy down to the ground with a fierce, hungry violence. He kneeled down on the boy's chest and grabbed a rock. He smashed it down on the boy's head, each strike more violent than the last. I was frozen, terrified, yet entranced, unable to do anything but film, my finger longing to lift from the button and break away from the camera. It was like it was fused to me. I had become the camera. As I watched, the brown haze faded from around Max with each strike and settled on the boy's body. I could feel the darkness from my dreams feeding on the boy as it released its grip on Max. I watched through the viewfinder as the darkness began to fade from the body, the feeling of hunger softly ebbing away. Suddenly, Max jumped up, seeming to wake from a dream. He stood over the body. He stared from the boy's smashed face to his bloody hands an expression of shock on his face. I was unmoving as I watched the haze as it faded from the body and melted into the ground. Max ran from the woods, but the connection between myself and Max was broken. As Max disappeared into the woods, I felt the same rush of warm air I had felt each time we reached his house and the sensation of waking from a dream. I released the shutter button and came out of the camera world into the all-too-bright real world. Scared by what I had seen, I ran home, barely aware of the camera still clutched tightly in my hands. When I reached my house, I found it blissfully empty as I ran to my room, slamming the door behind me. I shoved the camera into a corner in my closet with a mix of emotions. I could feel the darkness around me, its eyes on me as my hands shook and tears burned my eyes. I vowed I would never touch that horrible camera again. Over the next few days, I tried to get back to my real life. Max had mysteriously left school, and I tried hard not to think about why, and ignore the rumors that he had murdered the boy who lived down the street from him. However, I felt disconnected from real life. I couldn't think clearly or engage with classmates or schoolwork. It was as if all of the color had been drained from the real world, and I had become a ghost of myself. I felt the darkness pushing against me and myself getting weaker the longer I went without filming. I began to feel the hunger again and I knew it was the hunger of the darkness and of the camera. It was a Saturday when I couldn't resist the pull of the camera or hunger of the darkness pressing against me. I pulled the camera apprehensively from the closet. When I pulled the viewfinder to my eye, I knew the dark, hazy shapes would be all around me. I watched as they moved aggressively in the frame, their hunger burning into me. I knew what I needed, what they needed, a new subject to film. Despite it being almost 10 p.m., I found myself walking down the street in the cool night air, the camera glued to my face, my finger running lightly around the shutter button. I was desperate. I needed someone to film, or I knew the darkness would consume me. I didn't understand this need. I've always been introverted. A few close friends, but the camera had made me lose touch with almost all of them. It was like I'd ceased to exist in the real world. My world consisted of nothing but the small frame of the camera. I felt hungry for a new subject. It was the only thing that mattered. I needed to find someone to film. As if my needs and my desperation had been heard, I saw a girl walking across the street with a dog. She had long black hair and didn't seem to see me at all. 
Within seconds, I was obsessed, the camera pulling me towards her. I found myself crossing the street to follow her, the camera willing me to film, forcing me to follow her, just as it had forced me to follow Max. The pull was both terrifying and hypnotic. I followed her all the way home, sitting outside her window watching the dark haze build as she slept. It built much quicker than it had with Max. I knew the darkness was starving. I found myself powerless to do anything but film. She became my new subject. I could not escape the hungry pull of the camera. The longer I filmed her, the more of a sinking feeling I had of what was coming if I continued to film her, and yet I couldn't stop. I wasn't even sure I wanted to. It was as if the camera and I had become one. The dark shapes and the haze had consumed me. Unlike with Max, I never left this girl. There was no more rush of warm air. The world never came back into focus. I never went home, never slept, never ate. All I was was the camera. I could feel my own hunger building with the darkness, and I knew the only thing that would satisfy my own hunger was the violence I knew was coming. Then it happened. The sweet release I had been waiting for. It was Max. He met the girl I'd been filming for the past couple days. He was free of the haze I had gotten used to seeing surrounding him. He looked normal. I watched the girl talk to him for a few moments. By this point, she was nothing but the haze. And like I'd known would happen, she led Max into the woods. Part of me wanted to pull my finger from the shutter button, silence the soft click, click, click that has become the only sound I could hear. Yet part of me longed for the coming violence. I wanted him to die. I needed it. I could feel the camera begging for what was coming. I watched her attack Max with a horrific thirst seeming to seep from the camera into my veins. I wanted it. I wanted to see the bloodshed. I wanted to see the life fade from Max. I needed it. I had become one with the camera. I watched as the brown haze faded from her and consumed Max's lifeless body. I watched as the now haze-free girl stood over Max's body. I could see the look of fear and confusion on her face. All traces of the violence she had executed so intensely just moments before were completely gone. She took off into the woods, but I remained, glued to the spot where I stood. My hands shook and I felt the camera slip from my grasp. Something deep within me stirred and I became horrified about what I'd seen, but I also found myself unable to scream or cry or even tell anyone about what was on my camera, just as I hadn't been able to tell anyone when I started using it. I stared down at the camera on the forest floor. It was just me, me in the cool metal of that beautiful, terrible camera. I could feel it calling to me. I felt myself itching to reach for the camera. I slowly crouched down and scooped it up, checking anxiously to see if it had broken in the fall. The camera seemed intact, short of a small new dent near the shutter button. I ran my finger over it lightly. I could feel the darkness in the camera closing in around me, and my last shreds of humanity slipping away. I knew in that moment, sitting on the forest floor, that I had two choices. I could continue to film, continue to keep the darkness trapped in the camera satisfied, or I could fight it and have that darkness turn on me, consume me, and leave me like Max, lifeless on the forest floor. I looked down at the camera and considered my options. I know what I have to do. I need to run from this place, as far as I can go, before the hunger becomes too much for me again. Then I will rewind the tape and film over the awful events that happened in this place. I'm writing all this now so that you know not to look for me. 
I'm sorry to leave, abandoning you like my mother and your mother did. The camera is pulling me. I cannot escape it. I know nobody will ever see me, that the camera will make me fade from existence, that the darkness that has somehow been trapped within this camera must be fed, or it'll come for me, for you, for everyone I love. I am leaving so that the darkness can't destroy anyone else from our family. I no more will die as I search for a way to end this, to break free from the camera's pull and escape the darkness. So here it is, my tale, my confession. I am the camera girl, and I make people die.